Good evening, if you'll make your way to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is where our lesson will begin shortly. We want to welcome our visitors. We do have some visitors among us. And we welcome you to our Sunday evening assembly here at Oak Mountain. We appreciate your being with us. And as mentioned earlier in the prayer, um, I will be uh, speaking tonight. I'm not the regular preacher. Bob, of course, is, is the preacher um, at, this, at this local congregation. But, of course, we are in a lecture series, uh, the 2021 lectures, the uh, let us, uh, let's see, let us not judge is the topic for this evening, but that is under the umbrella of we are members of one another. We are members of one another, and so in this installment, we are going to talk about let us not judge one another. On February 23rd of 2020, it seemed like such a long time ago, that's when the men met up here in the front, and I chose this topic for the 2020 spring lectures. Let us not judge. And then, of course, COVID-19 happened, and that shut down the world. And so a year and a half later, I have been thinking about let us not judge in the midst of this global pandemic. Let me put this speaker on, I forgot about this. And so I've been thinking about, let us not judge in the midst of the pandemic and all that it involves, the mask mandates and the school closures and the business closures and the supply shortages and the federal and the state mandates and the assembly mandates and the civil unrest and all the riots that occurred because of that. And then we had the presidential election and all the drama that went into that. And so what a time to be thinking about, let us not judge in the midst of all these things. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we are members of one another. We are members of one another and so, since we are members of one another, the 11th installment of this lectureship tonight, let us not judge one another. In uh, Romans chapter 14, that is, that is where the, uh, the title of the lesson came from. We'll get into that in, a, in, just, a, in just a bit. But before we get into that, I'm sure we've all been there, either at school or at work, um, in some sort of discussion with, with a group of people, and somehow the discussion takes a religious turn, and all of a sudden, we are forced to state God's truth on any given subject, whether it's abortion, uh, homosexuality, drinking alcohol. Uh, the gender issue, whatever it is, we state God's truth on that issue. And now, all of a sudden, we have become the enemy. And we get comments like, oh, well, who made you the judge? Or, you have no right to judge me. 
Or what gives you the right to judge? And they turn to Matthew chapter 7, and they say, Judge not, lest you be judged. And I'm afraid that judge not, lest you be judged may be one of the most abused, misused, and misunderstood scriptures that our religious friends know. And so the question is, does the Bible teach that, that we are never to make any judgments at all? Is that what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 7? That we are never to make any sort of judgments as a Christian? Because some say that the Bible teaches that we should never pass judgments on anyone at any time. And they use Matthew chapter 7. But if you turn to John 7 and 24, Jesus says to judge with righteous judgment. And then someone would say to that, well, well you're not Jesus, or you're not Paul, or you're not, you're not one of the inspired apostles, so therefore you have no right to judge how I live. But then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so the Bible clearly teaches that both Paul and Jesus made plenty of judgments about people, things, and situations. And so, which is it? Does the Bible teach that we should judge or that we must never judge? Well, as Bible students, we know that the Bible does not contradict itself. And we know that because that's what Jesus said in John 10, 35, when Jesus said, the Scripture cannot be broken. And this means that Scripture will harmonize with other Scripture because the truth does not contradict itself. The middle and high school class students should know at this point what Psalm 119 and verse 160 say. The entirety of your word is truth. That is, the sum total of God's word is truth. We just can't take bits and pieces and use that as God's truth. We have to take the entirety of God's Word. But sadly, the Bible teaches, yes, that some, they will twist the, strict, the Scripture to their own destruction, 2 Peter 3 and verse 16. But the Bible also teaches us as God's people that we are to rightly divide the Word of truth, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. And so our question tonight is, does the Bible teach that we are to never make a judgment or does the Bible teach that we are to judge? The answer to both of those questions is yes. And tonight we are going to demonstrate from the scriptures that God expects us as his people to make certain types of judgments and he also expects us to avoid other types of judgments as well. But before we get into those uh, commanded and uh, condemned and proper judgments, we first must clean up the mess that the world has made of Matthew chapter 7. Let's start in verse 1. Matthew 7 and verse 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. 
And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck out of your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. The definition of judge means to separate, uh, to make a distinction, to make an estimation, or to make an appraisal of something. So we must understand something right off the bat that making a judgment is not a bad thing. Because within the context of Matthew chapter 7, this follows Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus' message to his followers is that his followers' righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees. And so no, Jesus is not condemning all judging. Look at verse 6. Jesus says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And so in order to do that, in order to follow Jesus' commandment, we have to make an assessment. We have to make a judgment on who is a hog or a dog. Verse 5, it implies some sort of judgment to be made. When Jesus says, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This passage requires that judging must occur. In order to remove the plank from your own eye, you're going to have to make some judgment to get that out. In order to remove the speck from your brother's eye, that's going to require some judgment. And if you drop down to verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Obviously, Jesus is teaching that we may, must make some sort of judgments, especially when making judgments on who is a false teacher. And so, Jesus is commanding us to make some sort of judgments. But judge not lest you be judged if people take this and if they say that all judgment is condemned, well, a whole lot of passages in the Bible are just not going to make any sense to us at all. For example, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when when the Apostle Paul when the Apostle Paul condemns uh, the Corinthians, he reprimands them for failing to make a judgment, that's not going to make any sense if the Bible tells us that we are not to make any judgments at all. But before we get into the way to properly judge, let's look at some of the ways in which the Bible condemns certain type of judgments. The first type of judgment that the Bible condemns that I want to look at and focus on a little bit is, is harsh judgments. And when we say harsh judgments, we're talking about that hasty type of judgment, that unloving attitude. Here's a judgment that is quick to 
to make a judgment even before you have all the facts. This harsh kind of judgment is, well, it's, that, it's the worst interpretation of what a person has done. This harsh type of judgment often is, is limited only to what we have seen. And sometimes we forget the golden rule in Luke chapter 6 and verse 31. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Before we make a judgment, we, we should put ourselves in that other person's position. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 7. Paul gives this passage of love. That love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And so this passage teaches us that we should put the best possible view of our brother's actions. Sometimes we say we should give that person the benefit of the doubt. Okay? When we do that, we believe the best of a situation. The Old Testament poetry also warns against making these hasty and quick judgments. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 2 says, Do not be rash with your mouth. And do not let your heart utter anything hastily before God. Proverbs 18 and verse 13. It says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. I like the New Living Translation, which, which says, Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. So, you see, before we jump to a conclusion about something, it is wise and it is best to gather as much evidence we have as possible. And we do that in order to make the best assessment of the situation. And sometimes, as I have learned growing up, that we get into a lot of trouble if we make decisions before considering all the facts. If we are patient and if we thoroughly examine a situation get as much facts as possible, we can avoid making these harsh and quick and sometimes unloving type of judgments. So, so let's, let's try to avoid that. Let's try to avoid the harsh judgments. The Bible also condemns judging without mercy. And Jesus warns a bit against making these unmerciful type judgments. Jesus gives the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18. Um, in this parable, he tells a story about this servant who owed his master 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents may mean nothing to you, but it is the modern day equivalent to about $6 billion, as some commentator uh, uh, has said, stated. And so $6 billion, that is an absurdly ridiculous amount of debt that no one would ever be able to repay. But as the parable goes, this master was moved with compassion and he forgave him all of this debt. And so that servant, instead of showing the same mercy that was shown to him, this this unmerciful servant threw his debtors into prison. And so we see that this parable, it warns against making these unmerciful judgments. We need to be merciful in our judgments. We need to consider uh, 
the compassion and, and the mercy of this master who forgave him such a great amount of, of debt. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7, Jesus taught, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And James warned against making judgments without mercy in James chapter 2 and verse 12. He says, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so the point is that if we make judgments without showing mercy, well, then no mercy will be shown to us when we, when we need it. And how often do we need mercy? We need mercy all the time. We have been shown mercy, so let us show mercy to, other, to others in our judgments. Another type of judging that is condemned in the Bible is that of the hypocritical type of judging. Back to our passage in, in Matthew chapter 7, I find it interesting that Jesus uses uh, this figure of speech about someone with a log coming out of his forehead trying to get himself in a position to get this small little tiny speck out of his brother's eye. And everyone agrees that this is a pretty ridiculous scenario. But this is the kind of hypocritical assessing and judging that Jesus is condemning. I can't think of a better example of hypocritical judging than, than that found in the example of David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Of course, we remember in 2 Samuel 12, this was right after David had sinned with Bathsheba. He committed adultery with her. And so God sends his prophet to David. In verse 1 of 2 Samuel 12, it says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his, his own cup and lay in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare uh, one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. You see, David was so mad about this rich man taking his neighbor's lamb that he couldn't see the log coming out of his own eye. But Nathan looks at David and says, You are the man, David. You are the man. And this is the type of judgment that Jesus condemns, this hypocritical judging, that you are so focused on, on the other person's sin that you can't even see the sin in your own life. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus gives the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. In verse 10, it says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
The Pharisee stood and prayed thus to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. This Pharisee, he's, he is so proud of himself. He's standing over there. He's saying, God, you should be thankful that you have me. God, I, I'm not like these other men. I'm not like this, this tax collector over here. You should be glad that you have me on your side. And the point is that Jesus, he condemns this self-righteous, this very harsh, unloving, and hypocritical type of judgment. And so we need to beware of that type of judgment. The Bible also warns of uh, an unconcerned judgment, a judgment that is unconcerned for your brother. And this is the type of judgment that is, that is insensitive to, to a brother's conscience. And this is where we're going to turn to Romans chapter 14. In Romans chapter 14, this passage deals with the eating of meats that was sacrificed to idols. Now, some of the Roman brethren, they were making false judgments about their brethren. You see, some of the Christians in Rome, to them, it, you know, meat was meat. Okay? And, and they attach no significance whether it was offered to a pagan idol or not. It, it didn't matter to them. They were unconcerned about that. And they were so unconcerned about it that they became insensitive to, the, to their Roman brethren who, who, who was concerned about it. Because to some of the Roman Christians, it was a big deal if the meat was offered to an idol. And so that became a sin to that brother if he ate of that meat. And so Paul, he exhorts the Roman brethren in Romans chapter, chapter 14 to be concerned for your brother. In verse 10, he says, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. You see, these Roman brethren, they had lost perspective of what was really important. And what was important? What was the most important thing? Well, in verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, let us not judge, uh, judge one anymore. And why, Paul? Why aren't we to judge? Well, verse 10 says that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You see, that was the most important thing. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And you see, just like the Romans... I mean, we're pretty much the same. We are all in the same boat. That when we die or when the Lord returns, what is all that matters at that moment? All that matters at the judgment day is if we are in a right relationship with God. And so we need to make those judgments that are concerned, that are concerned and sensitive for our, brother, uh, for our brother's conscience. We should make judgments that do not cause our brothers to violate his conscience and sin. 
our judgment should reflect the Apostle Paul's attitude in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, when he says, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So in our judgments, we need to keep in mind that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so our judgment should show concern and be sensitive for our brethren. And we need to take caution against this unconcerned and insensitive type of judgment. We could go on and on about different judgments that are condemned in the Bible, but the Bible also has a lot to say about proper judging, proper judging, that judging which, which, is, which is righteous and pleasing to God. John 7, 24, Jesus says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And so Jesus is obviously commanding a certain type of judgment here. But first, in order to make proper judgments, the very first thing we need to do, we need to identify sin. The identification of sin. And as easy as that sounds, it is very crucial to proper judging. In Hebrews 5.14, this describes the quality of a mature Christian. In Hebrews 5.14, it talks about uh, someone who is well-seasoned well in the faith, I'm sorry, Hebrews 5.14. In Hebrews 5.14, it says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so this describes the quality of a, of a very mature Christian. Okay, And so this mature Christian, he is able to discern from good and evil. He is able to, to call sin, to identify sin. And so the Bible instructs us on once we have identified what sin is, what our response should be toward sin. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, it says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. So this passage clearly teaches that when someone sins against us, we are to go to that brother and tell him his fault. And this involves going to a brother and identifying sin. And I don't know why, why some people are afraid of, of calling sin, sin, and identifying sin. But this is what the Bible tells us to do. We are to identify sin and call it sin. Galatians 6 and verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So in order to determine on whether someone is caught up in a sin or not, uh, we're going to have to make an assessment. We're going to have to make a judgment 
on that person's behavior. We're going to have to identify sin. In James 5, in verse 19, it says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And so in order to do that, in order to turn a brother back, we're going to have to make a judgment on whether that brother has wandered away from the true way of the Lord, who has wandered away from the teachings of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 5, here a man had his father's wife. He was involved in sin. In this church, they were, they were not doing anything about it. They were failing to make a judgment about sin. As a matter of fact, they were boasting about it. And Paul, he reprimands them. And in verse 4, he says, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So I don't know if you've picked up on a common theme running through all of these passages that deal with the identification of sin, but the, the, the end goal of identifying sin is to restore a brother. When, when you have gained your brother, when you restore your brother, when you save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins, when, you, when a spirit is saved, okay, the end goal of, identif of identifying sin in someone's life is to restore your brother. And so anytime we make an assessment, an appraisal, a judgment of a person's behavior, we need to keep in mind that proper judging is concerned about restoration. Proper judging, proper judging has nothing to do with being better than someone. Proper judging has nothing to do with uh, having power over someone else. Proper judging is about restoration. So we see the point. We need to, as Christians, we, we need to identify sin. And when that sin is identified, we need to restore that brother. Another quality of proper judgment is that of gentleness. Proper judging is, is done with gentleness. In Galatians chapter 6, in verse 1, when it says, Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, that term restore in the first century, that was used in a medical sense. It was used to make perfect, to, to mend, to be perfectly joined together as in mending or setting a bone. And so when we go to the doctor with, with a broken bone, we want that doctor, when he sets that bone, to be gentle with us. He, we want him to have, as we call it, a, a, a good bedside manner. We want him to be gentle. I remember as a child playing at my great-grandfather's house in Painter, Alabama, uh, on Sand Mountain, DeKalb County. Me and my brothers were playing out there and somehow I got a splinter stuck in my hand. And so I went inside and you know, I was showing people, you know, I, I got a splinter in my hand. And so my uncle, my great uncle Kermit, he took out his pocket knife 
and he wanted to help dig this splinter out of my hand. And I, I didn't like that. I didn't want him to do that. But as I look back on it now, my uncle, he had compassion. And as he, as he took his pocket knife and he, he kind of dug that splinter out of my hand, he was very gentle with me when, when he did that. And that is the way that we need to seek and restore someone who is lost, someone with their relationship on the line with God. Because our tendency may be to come down hard on them when they are in sin. But we need to show compassion. We need to show gentleness with that brother. We need to remember the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So when approaching someone about their sin, we need to ask the question, how would I like to be approached? How would I like to be approached if there, if there was sin in my life? How would I like to be approached if I was in their shoes? How would I like for him or her to come to me? We should also consider maybe even going to them in private. And why would you go to them in private, as Matthew chapter 18 tells us to do? Well, we will go to them in private because we are concerned about their, their integrity. We are concerned about the reputation of that brother. And so we would go to them in private. And that is part of, of, of the way that we would handle it in gentleness. Because we are concerned about the reputation of that brother. And you would want that brother to address you in private. So you would do that in private as well. So in our judgment, judgments, let us consider that it is to be done with gentleness. And the last point that I want to cover is that the proper judging starts with, with, with myself. Proper judging starts with you. It starts with the individual. And so before we go to someone with a speck in their eye, we need to look at our own life and make sure there's not a, a two-by-four coming out of our eye. It's interesting, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, what Jesus deals with. He deals with a lot of, of uh, issues that, that occur within the heart. He deals with anger and hatred and lust and envy. Jesus deals with integrity and revenge and loving our enemies. And in chapter 6, Jesus deals with pride and doing things to be seen by others and materialism and laying up treasure in heaven rather than on earth. Jesus talks about all of that before he even addresses the subject of judging others. And the big lesson that we can take from that is that when Jesus deals with all of these, these things, these, these attitude issues of the heart, there's a lot of things in our life that that could possibly contaminate our judging. So we need to make sure that, that our life is clean before we try and go and, and clean up someone else's life. There was a study done years ago, I think there was numerous of these studies done, where they took dish rags from various sink sinks across the United States and they performed scientific tests on these dish rags 
And a large percent of these dish rags were found to have bacteria growing in them. They found E. coli and, and salmonella and other disease-causing bacterias. And so these rags, they were used to, to wash a dish, and then they were used to, to wipe the table off, and then they were used to wipe little Johnny's hands off, and then they were used to, to wipe the stove off. And, and the point of that, the, the reason I'm bringing up that is we, we take something that we intend on making something clean, but all the while we're just, we're just spreading diseases. We're spreading germs. And that is what we do if we go to a brother and try and help them with their sin when we have sin in our life. If there's a two-by-four coming out of our eye and we try and, and judge someone else, well, all we're doing is we're just spreading sin. We're just spreading diseases. And so what we need to do, we need to take care of the sin in our life. We need to have our lives purified through the forgiveness that Jesus offers so that we can identify sin in a loving manner and go to our brother in a very gentle way and seek and restore that brother and save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And so tonight we have covered, well, what judging is, what Jesus actually teaches in Matthew chapter 7, and we've considered some, some condemned type of judging as well as proper type of judging. And, you know, as I thought about that, those are all judgments that occur here on earth. But there is a final judgment that we will all face. It's a judgment after everything is said and done here on this earth. As we've, as we've read, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. We will face the judge and answer to him. John 12, 48, we'll be, we'll, we will be judged by Christ's own word. And so the question is, are you ready for that judgment? Are you ready to face that judgment? If you have never named the name of Christ, if you have never put him on in baptism, or if there is sin in your life that you need to make right with God so that you, you can become an, uh, into a right relationship with our Father. We implore you and we invite you to come as we sing this song of encouragement. <laughs>